Division, anger, partisanship, lies, distrust. In this four-part podcast special, Alan and I wanted to take an in-depth look at the growing division in our country. The recording itself took place towards the start of January, well before the current rising tensions with Russia and Ukraine, as well as the new widespread calls for censorship of mainstream media figures like Joe Rogan for spreading, quote, dangerous misinformation. Despite multiple open apologies, removal of old problematic episodes, and acceptance of content warning labels, the rhetoric continues, and some will not accept anything short of total cancellation and removal of his show off Spotify. Is the state of our respective arguments so fragile that no challenge can go unmolested by a content warning instead of a rational counterpoint? Are virtues so pure that artists can't stand to have their work on the same platform as a pot-smoking comedian? As this rhetoric is becoming much more commonplace, one can't help but ask if our American experiment is being pushed toward yet another breaking point. Is some type of social unrest or violent outcome inevitable? And what would that even look like in today's age? Could this be a cold civil war and nothing more than a competition of ideas and thought shaping culture? Or is the increase in politically violent rhetoric leading us towards yet another handshake at Appomattox Courthouse? Or is it all a distraction? A pool of unending noise pushed out of control by tech algorithms to feed the reward response in people's brains. Factions of digital drug addicts tearing down each other's doors while bombs go off in a faraway country as the rest of us escape to unreality and our population dwindling to a standstill. Is this the next civil war? And will it be our last? In my experience, conversations are best had with a glass of whiskey. Join me, Alan Kogan, as I engage in meaningful discussions while enjoying a glass of my favorite spirit. Welcome to the Kogan Conversation. I think it's no secret the topic that we have. I've, I've announced it prior. The state of the country is going in a certain way that makes us kind of pause and, and, and have some trepidation about the, the course of where our, not only our national politics, but the conversation surrounding the national politics. And that's not to say, you know, something bad or good about Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Obama. It doesn't, you know, the political officials withstanding. We don't know how to tackle big issues without having this incredible fervor and anger surrounding them. We named this topic, I think aptly, the next civil war. And I would put a question mark on that. You know, are we heading there? And I, I guess I'm going to ask you the question first, and we're going to dive deep into this. But do you think that there is going to be an inevitable reaction or something that happens in the near future that could resemble at least the start of what could be considered a civil war? Like one, I, I guess that's a good question, a good jumping off point to, to get into more of the nuance of that, because do I think there's going to be like one event that just happens that just where, where suddenly everyone can agree like at the moment, all right, that's the start of civil war too. I don't know if that's how history works necessarily. Like, obviously, the first civil war, we have just a, a very clear, like, the South secedes, becomes its own country, basically. Fighting starts to happen, I guess. But now it's a little different. Like, warfare has kind of become this completely different thing, especially wars that America has been involved with. Like, again, we, we had a whole month where we talked about Afghanistan. And I mean, there's a vast majority of the country, including myself, that were for 20 years, were like, are we still there? Is there still a war per se? What do we call that? If there's not this, I mean, there's boots on the ground there. What what would signal what is the start of the next American civil war, if we were to call it that? And I mean, I might be even be in the boat where I think there's a very good argument to be made that we're 
we might already be in it that if a hundred years from now we look back on this moment people would say oh yeah it had been going for a year or even two or more up to where we are now and i think that's the part of where warfare might look completely different now i mean there's very clearly a culture war going on in this country where two sides like you said any issue political or not inspires this fervor on either side that seems to be irreconcilable basically and there's like information warfare going on people getting censored off of tech platforms that seem to aim on one side over the other and then there is like violence happening in places political violence we two examples from the last two years like i mean we're recording today which is january 6th which is the one year anniversary of the quote-unquote insurrection on our capital coincidence <laughs> Also, like you had, I mean, there was widespread protests right now across the country, across the world when it comes to vaccine mandates. Um, less than two years ago, we had widespread protests that turned violent in some instances when it came to like Black Lives Matter and policing and the conversation around that. All these things that inspire just like really intense, heated, not necessarily debate, but just like like vicious attacks that aren't necessarily include violence but in some cases they can and it seems to not be de-escalating anytime soon it seems to just be going in one direction i think it's interesting to look at the history of the world and how things have changed how warfare's changed that people aren't so willing to countries aren't so willing to throw just bodies at a, at a cause the last time we had that was maybe vietnam and vietnam wasn't really even considered a war it was a conflict or a, a police conflict or a police action by the united states you know world war ii you know the americans were so deeply ingrained in believing in that cause, we were okay with hundreds of thousands of our own people dying. Obviously, they died heroically and died for an amazing cause and kept the, the Third Reich at bay, and, and that's awesome. But now you fast forward to today, and the idea of having a full-on war with a country like China or Russia or North Korea, where we're, we're, you're going to lose more than a, a couple thousand soldiers over the course of a 20-year war like Afghanistan was. You know, you hear once in a while during Afghanistan or Iraq that there was a soldier who passed away or soldier who got killed in action or whatever. And obviously not taking away the devastation of that, but it's it's not tens of thousands in a week. And that's what something like a war with China on the ground would be. China lost millions of soldiers in the Korean War against us and South Korea. And, you know, it was just they had the, the, the bodies to do it. And I would argue, I think every country has come, has evolved so far in the last 50, 60 years that no one's willing to do that. I think it's just, it sends a guttural shock down your spine. It's like, yeah, we have technology, we have drones, we have cyber warfare, we have psychological warfare, we have things that we can do to mitigate the actual human expense. We're, we're going to win the culture war. We're going to outspend you. We're going we're gonna to find ways to find the next advancement before you do so that we're number one and you're not. And now rather than actually a war of bodies and guns, it's a war of competition and it's almost like a space race again. That's why I think one of the brilliant things that, that Donald Trump did as president president was he created Space Force. And it's people joke about it. There's a, a, a hilarious Steve Carell Netflix comedy about it. But at the end of the day, there's a, there's a new frontier that might be coming in the next 50 years. And to be ahead of that game, allocate some money now and doing some research might actually pay off. Because the last thing we want is for China or Russia to be the ones who have all the satellites, all the tech, all the things up in space that we don't have a hand on. That being said, I think America is so privileged as a country that we've never experienced 
what it's like to have issues like a war-torn city or famine since maybe the War of 1812. And the War of 1812 was mostly fought rurally, and there wasn't there wasn't much going on. Washington, D.C. and Baltimore were burnt down, but that was back before there were many buildings. Uh, Russia, China, all these other countries, and Sudan and Afghanistan and Kazakhstan right now, they viscerally can see every day and feel what it's like to have war in their backyard. So they know what it is. They've lost loved ones. They, they're only a generation removed from the most recent conflict most times. We didn't have anything on our streets. The Civil War was the last thing we had, and it was bloody, but it was fought in fields. It wasn't bombing with new equipment. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't exist in a time when we had automatic weapons or semi-automatic weapons that were you could mow down entire groups of people. And now you have a Civil War potentially being talked about here, and I guess the question is, will it ever get to a hot point? I would, I would concur that it's a Cold War. It's a cold Civil War right now, or a Civil Cold War, whatever order you want to put the words, but I don't think Americans understand or want to, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I'm kind of beating around the bush. I don't think Americans want to get there, but I don't think they know what it's like to even be there. So they're not desensitized. So we're afraid. I think you put it very well in terms of us being so privileged in terms of not understanding what having a war torn country looks like. Cause everything we've been in, in the last, you're right, hundred years has been outside of our borders. There's all this like random death of people that aren't like us in other countries that we're vaguely involved with. And unless you're a soldier over there seeing the stuff or, I mean, obviously Vietnam became a thing because we had press going over there and people, the images came back and we saw what was going on and it was this visceral thing. But then you have, you understand why things like a, like a Pearl Harbor got us so like we weren't in World War II until that happened. And then it was like, all right, bam, like we give a shit now and we're coming in, we're going to end it. Because it was just such a visceral like shock to our system because nothing like that had been happened since, yeah, the, the Civil War or something like 9-11 getting us into Iraq and Afghanistan, like the, the, the visceral gut reaction that, that happened after that. And then now you have some people breaking into the Capitol and that's getting compared to 9-11 and Pearl Harbor. And that, that is proof positive about how privileged we are as a country that, that that's our new like like shock to the system and the the excuse we're going to use to i don't know rile people up or get people passionate about again it's it and it's like not getting us passionate in like in terms of like a nationalistic kind of thing where we're going after another country it's getting our own people riled up to hate our own people to call them terrorists and that's that's insane to me that that, that it's like yeah we we don't have we don't want to we don't want to get in the big the sandbox with the big boys like china north korea russia so we're just going to tear ourselves apart because I don't know, we're stupid, I guess. Well, and th this is what is so interesting to me that, you know, the, the division that we see right now, especially with January 6th Capitol riot insurrection event, LARPing session, whatever you want to call it, it was wrong. It was stupid. It was a bunch of assholes being assholes. And, you know, it's wrong, obviously, but it's it's not comparable even remotely to Pearl Harbor or 9-11. Uh, both of those resulted in thousands of deaths were initiated by a different country. I, I, find, I find it so frustrating that many of our political elites have been using January 6th, either dismissing it outright, which I think is wrong, or using it as this event that's comparable to 9-11 to, like you said, stir the pot and pour jet fuel on the fire. And I, I wonder, is that calculated? Is that is that actually a thought out process that they think that they can tip the divide so much their way that they win and they can hold power because they can point to the other guy as being the bad guy? Or 
Is it just a knee jerk instant gratification type deal where they think it's the flavor of the day that the, let's say the woke crowd wants to hear. And same goes for the other side. That is it just the flavor of the day that the, the, the far right or the alt-right wants to hear from their leader or their their people that they support. I don't want to think that it's the people at the top who we've elected who are these, you know, these conspiratorial lizard people, deep state, who are controlling and trying to pry all the power that they can out of us. You know, you know, if that's happening, then I would consider them to be banking on a civil war because it probably lines their pocketbooks. But I don't want to believe that. I don't know. I'm just, I, I want to look more objectively at like, what are the things that these politicians say versus what happens when they get into office and biden's big thing was i'm going to bring us back together i'm going to heal the divide caused by trump it's like okay it's great campaign thing to you know people are sick of trump and his bullshit people want to go back to some amount of normalcy even though that's just neocons doing the neocon thing which trump was doing anyway but anyway (laughs) um, just more bombastically but yeah it's like okay so you're preaching this kind of like where i'm going to try and heal the divide i'm going to speak to the other side and biden has a history of being able to do that being a really good politician when it comes to that but all the rhetoric that has come out of that administration in the last year since he's been in office is very very much fueling the divide as much as humanly possible whether it's pandemic of the unvaccinated or yeah comparing trump supporters to domestic terrorists and al-qaeda like this this is insane stuff to make any kind of like claim to and it, it is so it's it's just more of this like how visceral can we make our rhetoric to get people to to react like everyone is a reactionary now and reacting to some i like built up straw man they have of the other side and what they believe january 6th in particular is this thing that's like you can't just write it off and just say oh well that was that was nothing but also you can't build it up into something that it clearly wasn't every month grant and i will tackle an important topic while enjoying a glass of whiskey if you don't agree with our opinions on these issues that's great we want to hear from you and hear your side of the story our goal is to understand different perspectives and engage in conversations that matter without regressing to the same division that exists in our hyperpartisan politics we can and must do better in finding common ground discussions breed solutions the kogan conversation is a podcast that welcomes respectful discourse paired with a glass of whiskey of course if you'd like to offer your take on an upcoming episode or join us for a glass of whiskey please reach out to us on social media or head over to our website and send us a message. Wouldn't it be nice to know what topics are coming up and when an episode is releasing from the Kogan Conversation? Subscribing to our podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, following us on Spotify, and of course following us on social media helps immensely. You can also head over to our website and sign up for our email list so you never miss out on any episodes or information. Cheers! The point of what they're doing is to get reaction, 100%, because we live in an age of clickbait and, you know, sharing the most sensational news story and getting the most views and the most likes and the most traffic. You know, the White House probably gauges a metric of their success about or how many people visit their site on whitehouse.gov. And, you know, I don't, that's not a Biden, that's not a Biden thing at all. It's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a nature of the beast today. I can't blame Biden personally for it. 
I can't blame Trump personally for it. I think we just are where we are. And, you know, obviously someone's going to say running for president that they're going to try to heal the divide. Of course, they're going to say that. I don't think it was ever possible for him to do it. I don't think it, it, it could have been any president other than, I don't know, maybe a saint or Martin Luther King Jr. or someone who is so amazing or Dwayne The Rock Johnson, maybe, I don't know, who could actually pull us all together and have a, a kumbaya moment after the vitriol of Donald Trump's four years as president. I, I don't think Biden or any president could ever do that. This is a cultural thing that's happening over over the course of time. We're having a difference of opinion. The biggest issue is, is that opinions aren't being heard. We're not listening to each other and we're not hearing each other out because it's very easy for me to say that there are policies that I like from Donald Trump and Joe Biden and Barack Obama and George W. Bush. There are policies from them that I both liked and I both hated. And right now we live in a partisan divide where if you like even one ounce of what Donald Trump did, you are therefore a Trump supporter, you're horrible, you're canceled, you're off the internet, we're going to dox you and ban you on Twitter. And same goes the other way. Can I, can I make an argument though? It doesn't, there is this issue right now though, where it, it, we, and we've talked about like tech censorship before. It comes up and it's come up consistently over the last five years where it is, when it comes to getting banned off of a platform like Twitter or something like that, like that specific thing where you're like either getting censored on YouTube or Twitter or Facebook or whatever, it is generally leaning one way and not the other. Oh yeah. It, it's fueling that divide even more so where it's like, why is this one side getting targeted and not the other? Yeah, no, I, you're right. And I and I, I didn't mean to, I, it's not equal 100% across the board, but we'll use Twitter as an example. The fact that Twitter is able to delete tweets or ban people outright because they, you know, espouse something that the Silicon Valley community, which is largely liberal, doesn't agree with is dangerous. And I'm so conflicted because Twitter is a private company and they should be able to do that if they want. But at the same time, they're so large and powerful that they have, a, they probably have a responsibility to not do that and not, you know, fuel what I would consider consider things that cause conspiracy and cause skepticism. Best example, and I, I, I'm going to try not to get too far into the vaccine discussion, but Dr. Robert Malone, who is was one of the chief inventors of the mRNA technology, uh, he was on Joe Rogan's podcast discussing his thoughts on the pandemic, uh, COVID-19, and what's going on with the vaccine distribution and what's effective, what's not effective, et cetera. You know, he could be 100% wrong on his claims. I don't know. I'm not a medical professional. But what I would want is the people at the top who are espousing, you know, vaccines are good and et cetera, who I trust and I believe them. I want them to invite this guy who's raising claims and concerns to the table and have a discussion and have a peer-reviewed process and, and check the data and recheck the data and recheck the data. And the fact that instead, Twitter bans him on their platform. LinkedIn bans him on their platform. YouTube takes down any clips of him talking about mRNA vaccines and, and his concerns with the COVID-19 vaccine. That makes me go, what's going on? Because now you're you're silencing the other side and you're making them feel as if they aren't part of the conversation, even if they're batshit crazy. You need to be able to open up and have a conversation with that person. You're never going to win someone over by calling them stupid or by censoring them or by mandating them to do something. So that's why I think we're encroaching further and further to a, at least a cold civil war. How long is that barking dog going to be kept in a corner before it bites you? Before it, it, it's at its wit's end, it feels its life is threatened, it's starving, it needs food, and it's, it's something's going to happen. I don't know what that breaking point is. I guess that's another thing about these platforms in particular. I just want to stay on that point where it's like the libertarian argument is, yeah, like start your own platform, start a parlor or a getter or something to compete. And you never know. In 10 years, like we the, things change in tech so quickly that, yeah, maybe in 10 years, getter is the main platform because it's not the one that's going to ban you for saying 
anything. I mean, it's it's going in the direction where like four years ago, you had to literally dox someone to get banned off Twitter. Now it's like you have to, I don't know, post facts. <laughs> like I Post a like, selfie of Dave Chappelle. So yeah, with these like social media platforms, like you don't want to ban all the people that dog that you're they're consistently telling no bad wrong, even though you're not giving any kind of real justification for it other than that's what I was going to say. Their justification for banning Robert Malone and all these other people talking about vaccines and stuff. And it's it's never like anti-vax stuff. It's always that's what it's immediately labeled. It's like they're anti-vaxxer. They're like conspiracy theorist anti-vaxxer. It's like, no, this is the person who invented the technology just saying I'm not anti-vax. I have vaccines. I got the COVID vaccine, but here's a list of things that are you maybe just look into a little bit. And they call that quote unquote vaccine hesitancy spreading and they can't have that. And it, it just becomes this thing where it's like it's no longer you have to prove prove positive the effectiveness. It's ban anything that is that is proving negative or proving not even negative, just proving against your complete 100% effectiveness. I think there is another danger too where this libertarian argument of starting another platform where you might silo people's opinions more, you know? Like here on Twitter, you have all left-leaning opinions now and they're all in this nice little echo chamber that can that just can keep going up and, and not engage with anybody on this side. And then over here, you have people on Parler, Getter, whatever, talking about all their stuff and then it's just so siloed and now you have two completely split versions of people's realities and that is that is exactly what leads to brother and brother on either side of a battlefield fighting each other because they have two completely different versions of what is real to them and what it makes sense and it's like neither of them is wrong that's the thing like on either side they've been so siloed and so in their own chamber of of information that when they they meet each other it's like they're in a completely different world they're in parallel universes and they there's no real chance of them seeing what's on the either side unless you do this unless you sit down and you talk to someone for hours and hours and hours and really really try and understand and get past that initial like Oh, I'm going to hit you with a word. You're going to hit me with a word. Oh, I'm going to hit you with my hand. Oh, you're going to hit me with a brick. Oh, I'm going to shoot you with a gun. Like, it's just this escalation that's going to keep going and going. And that's where we're at, where I, I think that is a danger of getting people off this platform where people are can actually have a discussion, maybe, possibly. But maybe that's one of the issues in the first place, where people aren't having real conversations. They're having Twitter spats. They're having Facebook comment spats. They're having YouTube comment spats. People don't sit down on it from across from each other in a table or across from each other in a Zoom meeting and really has something out unless they're paid to do it, I guess. Well, and when the polio vaccine was developed in 1930s, 1920s, there was pushback. There was conversations with concerned people. There were people who were biomedical scientists who said, hey, we're concerned about how this operates. We're going to look into it. There are two things that happened. One, the people that pushed back and criticized the vaccine or the development of the vaccine, they weren't claiming that the people who made the vaccine were bad or evil or trying to push something because at the same time, the people who were manufacturing the vaccine and creating the vaccine, they weren't pushing it as your savior and it's the only thing that can you can do and it's a sure-all and it's 100%, right? That pushback created more peer-reviewed studies and more data that eventually led to a more efficacious vaccine vaccine and distribution and administration of the vaccine that has effectively eradicated polio. Now, that hasn't happened with COVID or even the flu because we think there's this this massive power play behind the scenes. With COVID-19, maybe there is. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate about that on this episode. But why is it that the people who were manufacturing and creating and, and distributing the vaccine were so ardent about how effective it was without having any you know, FDA approvals or uh, peer-reviewed case studies or things that you know we would normally do? 
And then why did the other side, who were the skeptics, claim right away that, oh, well, you know, the Dr. Fauci's and the, and the Dr. Burks and the people at the NIH and the people at the, at, the, at the World Health Organization, they're all acting in bad faith. You know, there's somewhere in the middle that, you know, I'm sure Fauci is not a bad guy. I, I, he probably has spent most of his time trying to be a good doctor and doing his thing. And, I, you know, power corrupts and money corrupts and things happen as you get older and get more powerful and, and the rise in the ranks, of course. And I think he might be a very different man than he was 10 years, 20 years ago. You know, why can't it be? Why can't two things be the true at the same time? The people developing and trying to work on a vaccine for a very real virus are doing their best and are trying to find the right data and 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 give the vaccine and the, the treatments the right light of day. At the same time, the other the people who are like, well, you know, maybe we should look into this more. They can also say, oh, we don't appreciate the work they're doing. They've given us some science to work with, and we're going to do our own science over here, and then maybe we can come together at the table at the end of the, the next month and see where we're at. There's no collaboration going on. It's you're either on team vaccine or team no vaccine. That's not how we do this. That's not how we get past this pandemic. That's not how we get past other issues. And I'm using that as an analogy for any other issue because it's just the timely issue going on right now. Another one that we that I think could spark a lot of issue is is police brutality. That I, I, it might take one more George Floyd in the next year or two to have some kind of social unrest 10 times what was in Minneapolis or, or what happened across the country during the summer of riots. And we're going to have another Kyle Rittenhouse because of it. And we're going to have more issues. And now, you know, during that entire Rittenhouse trial, there was no nuance. People are so quick to jump on whatever team, whatever flavor of the day is on Facebook or Twitter or whatever is being parroted on CNN or Fox or MSNBC. And then it devolves into now you're arguing with your family at Thanksgiving because your family member didn't read the facts. You are so stuck in your echo chamber and you're reading your own facts and you're not going to change your mind. They're not going to change their mind. And God forbid it ever comes to a point where it's actually a principled issue like where we're heading with vaccine mandates, where now we're at, we're asking questions about, is it okay for the government to mandate someone to put something in my body? Or is it okay for the government like Australia to quarantine and, and put in essentially a camp of people who are testing negative, but not vaccinated? It, is it okay to give that power to the government? And I guarantee you there's going to be a large group of people who say, hell no, you, you know, you know, you want to do that. You can come make me and I will be ready with my shotgun at the door. Uh, and that's going to spark something. And I don't know what's the path to having those conversations again. Is it is it having people at the top lead by example and saying, hey, let's that's that's cool off and have a conversation about something? Or is it getting rid of Twitter and Facebook altogether and saying, you know what? It's wonderful to keep in touch with family and see photos of your vacation, but it is so bad for the social psyche. I love posting pictures of whiskey and posting things with you on here, but as long, at least as we have a long form podcast and conversation and, you know, we can edit it if we want to, but we don't do that. So I don't know. <laughs> This podcast is a work of passion and it's completely self-funded. We want to continue providing this platform dedicated to free thought and conversation, but we kindly ask that you show your support. Patreon isn't just a platform where you can give a small monthly donation. It also gives you exclusive access to extended, unedited episodes, bonus content, as well as creative input into whatever we cover. Being a supporter on Patreon makes you a member of the Kogan Conversation family and helps us continue this passion project. For just a few bucks a month, you can help us grow. The more we grow, the more perks can come to being a supporter on Patreon. Head over over to our website and learn how you can sign up. Out of the day they took her from me. All the sunshine and sweet things in life are all just a memory.
Thank you for joining us for this topic. While this concludes part one of our discussion on the next civil war, this is only the beginning. Be sure to check back when Alan and I return for part two on February 21st and parts three and four coming in March. If you can't wait that long, be sure to head over to our Patreon and subscribe for as little as $2 a month to have access to the full two plus hour unedited video episode today. In the meantime, we would really appreciate any thoughts or feedback you have for the show. Thank you. I'm Alan. And I'm Grant. Thank you for listening to The Kogan Conversation. This podcast is about engaging with different perspectives, values, and ideas. We want to learn how to progress conversations on important topics without assuming the worst in each other. Each month, we will tackle a new topic while enjoying a glass of our favorite spirit and shed light on the beauty of good conversation. Until next time. Cheers.